This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. You know, deception, if you wanna know the recipe for deception, it's 99 parts truth and one part error. So that's important, is that deception comes in always speaking the truth, talking the truth, but then comes the curveball. And that's the nature of deception. And that's what he does in Revelation 28, Revelation 20, verse eight. It says, he shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog, Magog, gathered together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went out of the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp, the other saints about a beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them, always he is called the deceiver. The devil that deceived them was cast into a lake of fire. The devil deceives. How does he deceive? He deceives with miracles. Miracles. You know, it says in Revelation 13, 14, Revelation 13, 14, that the devil deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by means of those miracles which he had the power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make the image of the beast which had a wound by a sword and did live. See, this is what the Egyptian uh, magicians did in Moses' day. They were, Moses comes in, he takes his rod as God told him to, he throws it down on the ground as God told him to, and it became a snake. It became a snake. Well, then came in the Egyptians. They did the same thing. They threw their rods down, they became a snake. They have power to do the miracles, and it's by those miracles that they deceive. And those miracles are called in the Bible lying wonders. Lying wonders, as it said in 2 Thessalonians 2, 8. 2 Thessalonians 2, 8 says, and then shall that wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. Those are miracles. And with all deceivableness, 
of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them a strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all may be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. That's a terrible judgment to be given over to a strong delusion. There was a time when the Lord Jesus was with his disciples and he was, they were in front of the great temple, the magnificent structure. And as they were looking at it, as a matter of fact, it says that they wanted to show him the stones of the temple and its magnificence. And then he began to speak of the destruction of the temple. I mean, that must have been something. Look at this beautiful structure. And he starts to talking about its destruction. And the disciples came to him and they said, how can we know when the end times are? And then he responds to them in Matthew 24, 1. Matthew 24, 1, when he says, Jesus went out, departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, so that's just opposite the temple, the disciples came unto him privately saying, Tell us. When shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? So they're looking at the temple. They're saying it's magnificent. He begins to speak of his destruction. They get onto the new subject. How are we gonna know when this is gonna happen? And Jesus, verse four, Jesus answered and said unto them, take heed that no man deceive you. Take heed that no man deceive you. Title of the message tonight. Take heed that no man deceive you. See, that answer from the Lord Jesus that he gave to them, it seemed to be not the answer to their question. I mean, it seemed as though we're not on the same wavelength. We're not talking the same language here. He doesn't understand what we're saying. The disciples asked, they said, look, we asked a straightforward, simple question about the end time. We asked the when question. When are these things gonna be? We were very clear in our question. We asked the what question. What shall be the sign of your coming and of the end of the earth? And he answers their question with a warning. A warning. And the warning is, take heed that no man deceive you. Maybe they thought he didn't hear them. Maybe they thought, maybe they didn't hear it. Maybe they didn't understand what we were asking for. They're asking for a sign of how to know when he was returning at the end of the world. He gives an answer that seems to have nothing to do with their question when his response is, take heed that no man deceive you. And it's as if this point, is as if this point, when the disciples wanted to say, no, wait, wait. We wanna know the sign so that we can get to know when you're gonna come back and return, when the world's gonna end, and now you've told us to be careful that we're not to be deceived. That doesn't seem to answer our question. When are you gonna answer our question? But that was the answer to their question. That was it. The sign of his soon coming and the approaching end of the world would be mass deception. Mass deception. The answer to the question of when are the end times, it's when you are in danger of being deceived. That's the sign of the end times. That's why it's so important for us to know these methods of Satan's trickery, these, these strategies of deception that he has that the devil uses, because, because when a believer says, oh, not me, I'm immune from being deceived, he's either already deceived or he is on his way to being deceived. That's why it says in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, 1 Corinthians 10, 12, wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he also fall. That means, 
that the person who thinks he can stand against deception on his own strength, he's in danger of falling into deception. And that's why we are called upon to beware, as Peter said in 2 Peter 3.17, 2 Peter 3.17, ye therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things before, beware, lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. That's why the, the beauty and the attractiveness of the snake is such a perfect illustration of the devil because the devil is a seducing spirit. The devil is the Delilah of the spirits. He is the Delilah of the spirits. And without doubt, Eve was attracted to the beauty of this snake skin. Now, there's another unique characteristic of the snakes, and that is that the snakes have this keen ability to discern and to track they have a great ability to track their prey. You know, snakes are able to totally focus on the track of the prey, even to anticipate where the prey is gonna move next. Because the snake is equipped with heat sensors in his head, in his arrow-shaped head. He's got these heat sensors. And those unique heat sensors are like heat-sensing missiles. And just as a heat-sensing missile changes its direction, changes the direction of the missile to hit the target, so those heat sensors in the snake's head enable the snake to dynamically align his head with the motion of the prey. And you can see this as the snake will move his head during this back and forth when he's following back and forth and seeing where does he get the most amount of reaction on his heat sensors and he zeroes in for a mouse, for example, which is very hard. But that's a perfect illustration of the devil in how the devil discerns and tracks us. The devil discerns our movements. He studies our tracks and then he accuses us after he sees, he accuses us constantly to God as it says in Revelation 12.10. Revelation 12.10 says, and I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down which accused them before our God day and night. Day and night, he's constantly discerning and tracking our steps day and night so he can accuse us to God. So we see in our chapter here that where Satan discerned and tracked Eve, you know, it says um, in 1 Peter 3, 7, 1 Peter 3, 7, it says, likewise ye husbands dwell with them, speaking of the wives, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. See, the devil discerned. The devil tracked. He tracked both Adam and Eve. And the devil realized that Eve was the weaker vessel. She was the one that he could deceive. So with his heat-sensing missiles, he zeroes in on Eve, and he says, he speaks, begins to reason with her. Just like it's described in 1 Timothy 2.14. 1 Timothy 2.14 says, Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and she was in the transgression. Now, snakes do something that's very rare among animals, and that is they molt. They change their skins. They change their skins regularly. They shed their skins. They get a new skin. And that's amazing if you ever watch that. It's amazing to watch a snake do that as he slowly moves his way out of his old skin and wearing, he's got this new skin. It's a perfect illustration of how Satan transforms himself, as we saw already in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. 14, Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. 
is. The devil has this ability to transform himself into different types of tempters. For example, for some, their weakness is in the sensual realm, sensual lusts. And so in this case, the devil tempts by using, he transforms himself and tempts by using sexual enticements, like pornography, that drag a person deeper and deeper into the quicksand of hell. But another person is not really vulnerable through the sensual, but he's vulnerable in pride. And so the devil transforms himself in that case with intellectual enticements or the praise of professors who on university campuses praise the students who embrace the atheistic teachings of evolution. Now, in another case, a person's not vulnerable to lust, he's not vulnerable to pride, but he's vulnerable to emotions. He's vulnerable to emotions. So the devil changes and tempts that person, turn away from God, because you remember, your parents promised you, and made you promise before they died that you would never become a Christian. How often I've heard that among the Jewish people. And so the, and the emotion of your parents, you can't. And so, so the devil, in all these cases, he's like changing his skin, becoming whatever tempter will have the most advantage over a person. The devil's like a tailor. He looks at the person, he says, okay, I'll cut the coat to size. I'll measure and I'll cut the cloth so that the temptation will be just right for the vulnerabilities of that person. Now, the snake has concealed weapons. The snake is not like a lion that you look at and you see these these awful teeth, long, sharp teeth as weapons. The snake's not like a bear that you see these claw, these tearing claws as weapons. As a matter of fact, the snake really appears to have no weapons. Actually, the snake appears to be very vulnerable. He appears to be weak. He appears to be helpless. But the snake is seemingly is nothing to be afraid of. That's what you look at. You look at the snake and say, well, that's nothing to be afraid of. But that's because concealed in the base of his teeth are fountains of deadly weapons, fountains of a deadly pool of venom which are so powerful that it can kill a man or bring down a large animal. And this is a perfect illustration of the devil that appears as an angel of light, but just like he's seemingly tender and helpless, you know, like a, like a, a seemingly tender and helpless woman of the street is described in Proverbs 7.26. Proverbs 7.26, she hath cast down many wounded, yea, many strong men have been slain by her. And when God warned Israel about the nations around them, he described them in Deuteronomy 32.31. Deuteronomy 32.31, he says, God said, first of all, their rock is not as our rock, even as our enemies themselves being judges, for their vine is of the vine of Sodom, and of the fields of Gomorrah. Their grapes are grapes of gall, their clusters are bitter, their wine is the poison of dragons, and the cruel venom of asps. The snake, the cruel venom of the asp. The devil is thrilled, he's just thrilled to see when people see him as some harmless little character in a red suit carrying a pitchfork. They think the devil just loves the candy red devils that portray him like that. He thinks that's great. Let them keep on doing that because in reality, the snake, like the devil, has a fountain of deadly venom with an enormous power to destroy. Now, and then there's the teeth of the snake. 
the teeth of the snake are incredibly minuscule. They're very, very fine. You know, if you're a diabetic patient, that's the size needle you want to draw the blood, the 27 gauge, and to inject with the insulin, because it doesn't hurt. And the snake, but the snake has extremely fine pin-like teeth that when the attack comes, it seems harmless, seems harmless. It's just like, you may feel like a, a snake just kind of bumped into you or brushed into your head of the snake, it hits you and, and you just think, oh, that's nothing, it's a slight injury. But the, and the actual holes are so fine that sometimes you really have to look carefully, even with a magnifying glass, to see where the, the teeth entered. Now, that's a perfect picture of Satan. It seems so not important at first. In the case of Eve, what was it? It was nothing. Was it a violent murder of Eve or of Adam, like Cain when he killed Abel? No, not at all. Or just an eating of some fruit. No big deal. I mean, what is it for man? It's just a little fun, just a little forbidden enjoyment. It comes, it comes naturally, seemingly very harmless. A little extramarital fling. It's nothing. What has, happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. The two daughters of Lot. Just a little mischievous fun after a terrifying night, making their father drunk, little sexual fun next morning, just seems so seemingly harmless, like the strike of a snake, seems so seemingly harmless, but the snake acts with such a precision to carefully inject its deadly venom into the unsuspecting, the unaware. And the snake has the, and it's a very deadly venom. You know, even though the hole, the actual hole where, where the strike happens seems so harmless, that venom starts to work immediately. It's so powerful, it has two actions. The first action of the snake venom is that it destroys at the site of the injection. The venom doesn't just stay there, though. The venom then spreads. It spreads and grows from the point of the entrance there. And as the venom spreads, it kills cells. If it's a cytotoxic venom, it kills cells and it turns the cells black with death. And some venom is neurotoxic and it kills nerve cells and it spreads through the body until it finally reaches the nerve, nerves that control the heart muscle and puts the vic victim into a cardiac arrest. The venom does not stay where it is injected. I remember the first goat that we had this experience with and we found this goat, and it was bitten by a rattlesnake. We didn't know it at the time, but we learned it. She was a beautiful, white, all white son and goat, very sweet disposition, a white doe. I know you think I'm crazy for talking about goats that way, but you know that you can get attached to them. And we never found the rattlesnake. We never do find the rattlesnakes. We never did find the rattlesnakes that killed our goats. But just it was just like it was curiosity that killed the cat. Curiosity killed the goat because goats are very curious animals. They're not like sheep. Sheep are not curious. Sheep are very suspicious. Goats are not suspicious. And so when the rattlesnake got into the goat pen, the goat would go over to investigate what's this, and the goats were always hit in the head and the neck area. That's always where they would be hit. They'd be struck because the goat is going to look at the snake. And death doesn't come immediately. It takes three days and it's a horrible three days. During those three days, we watched as this goat swelled in torment, got sicker and sicker, and we tried everything under the sun we could think of to stop this. We tried drugs, we tried combiotic antibiotics, we tried antihistamines, we tried anti-snake venom, we tried cortisones, we tried vitamins, 
And then we brushed her, her beautiful white fur away with a magnifying glass until we found the two small holes, the two pinholes, and then we knew what happened. And we really felt that we were struggling with death during those three days. We felt like we were in a tug of war with death and we were pulling our beautiful white doe and we were crying, live doe, live. And death was pulling our beautiful white doe and death was saying, die doe, die. And after three days she died. And we were just devastated. And so we carried her, her dead body down to the county vet in Kearney Mesa, the county vet down there. We didn't have a truck. We just had a Volvo station, a Volvo wagon. We strapped the, to the back of the wagon and drove down Highway 67 and Highway 8 <laughs> with liquids coming out of her mouth. And that served the cars right that tried to get close to see what it was. Anyway, we got her down there and um, we laid her on the stainless steel table as the vet did an autopsy. And we were, because we were curious to see what happened. What happened? And we were leaning over the animal as he carefully cut the layers of the this, this skin away to expose all the layers of tissue one by one and see what happened to our beautiful, lovely white doe. As he peeled back layer after layer, it was a picture that began to unfold of death, of cell death. Instead of the normal, healthy, pink muscles, all we saw was this deep, purple, black, wasted tissue. And it wasn't localized. And we could see how the venom, we could trace out the course of the venom by the black. It was spreading like a cancer. And that's when we realized there was no hope. We were fighting a losing battle from the start. And from that point, every goat that was bit by a rattlesnake, we put down to, to, keep, to keep them from suffering. But what was so amazing from that picture is how it all started from just two seemingly insignificant pinholes that's a picture of deception. Sin and the devil, the devil injects this and the sin infects the man, injects the, the deception. It seems so insignificant, like two little fine pinholes. And just like God breathed into man the breath of life, so the devil injects into man the venom of death. And that's what we saw illustrated on that dead goat on the autopsy table. And from Eve speaking with the devil, the devil was able to inject into Eve, without her even knowing it, the venom of death, the deception that led to the sin. It seemed so harmless at first. And when the devil was finished with Eve, the first female helper became the, the first female sinner who became the first female temptist, and then Adam was led into the same sin, only he wasn't deceived, he did it knowingly. And so from that initial venom death, misery, the consciousness of guilt, the alienation from God, the separation from God, the addiction to sinful appetites, it spread like venom, which resulted in all us having a tendency to sin. So what we've seen now is the power of the devil to deceive, the power of the devil to deceive us and the world, and the need that we have to understand his methods of deception. And what we've also seen is that our only defense against the devil's deception is the putting on the whole armor of God as described in Ephesians 6. Pray, love, immerse ourselves in God and obey the Bible as the word of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this chapter 
and for what it teaches us. And help us, Lord, to put on the armor of God to stand against the strategies of the devil. In Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program was brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.